Amen. Well, as they're um, taking their seats, I want to start out uh, with this question. What would you do? What would you do with $100 million? Okay, I was going to say a million dollars, but it seemed kind of small. First world problems, I know. And um, what would you do with $100 million tax-free? Think bigger than the iPhone 6, okay? Um, what, would you, what would be your first purchase? You don't have to spiritualize it or anything like that. Just what would you get? I, I would buy a Lamborghini. Okay, I'm just being honest. I had Lamborghinis all over my wall. That's a supercar, by the way, really fast car. All growing up, I had Lamborghinis all over my wall. I love this thing. I mean, we're talking a V12, 700 horsepower, zero to 60 in less than three seconds. It's awesome. I don't know. I've never ridden in one, but I've seen them before. Okay, and, um, and if you don't know, if you're not a car person, think the first car that Lloyd and Harry buy in Aspen after they find the money. You remember that? Yeah, we, had, we got somebody over here that knows Dumb and Dumber. If you're not a Dumb and Dumber fan, sorry, too much Dumb and Dumber in college for me. If you're not a Dumb and Dumber fan, think of the new Transformer movie and the b- bad guy bounty hunter. He transforms into a, into a Lamborghini, okay? And you're like, why are you telling me this? Okay, tonight we're, and we're not obviously talking about cars, but we're talking about richness. What does it mean to be rich? Is it okay to be rich? Is it okay to want to be rich? How do you become rich? That's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to redefine what richness is and how we can all, all experience richness. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. And Paul is going to help us, give us insight in what real richness is really about. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I'll read it one more time. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Might become rich. Let's make sure that we understand this verse really well as it's going to be foundational to everything else we talk about tonight. So you can break this verse down into an introduction and three key phrases that we want to look at. So first, the introduction. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus today, it's not because you did anything. Amen? Does five o'clock amen? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't show up here. I'm usually a downtown AM kind of guy. And so even if you're not, you can just do it tonight, and we won't tell any of the regular preachers, okay? Um, and, and, and we'll just have a little bit more fun that way. And so, um, so, so if you know Jesus today, it's, be, it's because he chose you. It's not because you raised your hand and chose him. You responded to what God did breaking into your life, and that is a gift. That's grace. Amen? Thank you. That was beautiful. And because you've accepted that grace, now he has this position in your life called Lord. Lord means that he's your master, that you serve him with everything that you are, that you signed off in your life and say, God, all I am and all I have is yours. You're my master. I want to serve you. Okay, the first key phrase. So that's the introduction. The first key phrase, though he was rich. 
Though he was rich, Jesus is richer than we will ever comprehend, friends. When we get to glory and see Jesus in all of his glory, it's going to be unbelievable. The gospel will be even more incomprehensible to us because we'll, for the first time, see in our lives all the richness that he had to leave to come and save us. The, 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 the Bible doesn't just tell us that Jesus is rich. The Bible actually describes how Jesus is rich. Let's look at a few passages. I just picked four. There's lots, lots more. But I just picked four passages, ways that talk about how Jesus is rich. First, Jesus is rich in his deity. Jesus is rich in his deity. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the the word word there is talking about Jesus. You can see that in verse 14 where it says the word became flesh. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is rich in his deity. Second, John 17, 5. Jesus is rich in glory. Jesus is rich in glory. Jesus says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus was with God in glory before the world existed. He was rich. He was, Jesus was also rich in authority. John 17, verse 2, Jesus is praying about himself. He says, you, Father, have given him, he's talking about himself there, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And, and last, Jesus is rich in power. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 show the, the, the richness of Jesus in the power he has. And I'm going to insert Jesus where it says the pronoun he or him. For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, through Jesus, and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. Friends, these are riches beyond what we can imagine. And Jesus left all of these riches. He left the Lamborghini that was heaven, amen, to come to the earth to ride a donkey. And he did it for a reason. That gets us to our second phrase. He did it for your sake, it says. He did it for your sake. This is the part of the gospel that some call scandalous because it doesn't make sense that a holy, perfect God who needs nothing would come and send himself to the earth, live a perfect life, die on a cross, and sacrifice Jesus for us. It's an incredible, scandalous kind of love. It was the ultimate poverty. Jesus paid the penalty for us so that through his death, through his poverty, we would become richer than we could ever imagine. For your sake, we want to ask the question, who is the your there? Because most of us, when we think about what I just said, which could, you know, you could say, you just unpack the gospel, and we say, well, it's for my sake, right? Singular. But actually, if we look at the Greek there, the Greek for the word your is plural, the Greek is plural. Same with the you that comes later in the verse where it says, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Both the your and the you are plural. So if you could write a new Texas translation, guess what word you would insert there? Y'all, exactly. For you, it's not weird. I'm a northerner, right? I moved down here, got here as soon as I could, right, three years ago. And so, but that's just part of y'all's language. And you would insert a y'all so it would read like this. Yet for y'all's sake, he became poor so that y'all by his poverty might become rich. Amen? Amen? 
So who's the y'all? That's the question, church. Who is the y'all? The y'all is the global church. The y'all is all the believers in the world. Now here's the crazy thing. All the believers in the world aren't believing yet. And this is why we as a church are so passionate about unreached peoples. Because the all is not yet in the y'all. Amen? It's not there yet. You're like, oh, I I bet you thought, I spent all week trying to think of that one. I did, actually. Um, I did. Um, No, it actually kind of fell out of my mouth like most things do. And um, I was like, oh, I think I could preach that. And... um, but the, but the point is this, friends, that whether you're a goer or not, we need to make our lives about the y'all. Amen? We need to make our lives about the y'all. And if you don't have a y'all conviction, see, the gospel wasn't just for you. It's bigger than you. It's for the y'all. It's for the whole world. And, and, and the reason that we're so passionate about unreached peoples is because God is passionate about the unreached peoples. He's passionate about his name being worshipped by the y'all. He, he's told us again and again in his word. It starts way back in, in Genesis 12 where he commissions Abraham. I'm going to bless you and make your name great so that you would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And then if you fast forward to Galatians chapter 3, we see that, that we, sons and daughters of Abraham through Jesus, are supposed to do this exact same thing. That if Jesus has made you rich, the purpose he's that for The purpose for which he's made you rich is so that you would make the world rich. Or when we see Psalm 86, when it it talks about all the nations coming and worshiping the Lord, that that God's desire is for all of them. Or when Jesus promises in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come, that that we would see that the Bible is all about the y'all. Do you have a y'all in your life? Do you care about the y'all? Man, when we send people out, this gives us great confidence as they go to unreached peoples because it's promised when they go to people groups like the Sarike, the one in Pakistan I was telling you about, that there will be people around the throne of God. Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9 promises it to us. And so we send them out from victory, not for victory. Amen? You see the difference there? We know we're going to win the battle. We know there will be people from that unreached people around the throne. And so when we send people to Pakistan and India and Indonesia and Yemen, we know that they're going to see fruit. And so we, whether we go or not, engage the world completely differently. It's from this victory, from victory, not for it. It's from this victory that Jesus could intentionally choose poverty. Again, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your or y'all's sake, he became poor. He became poor. Jesus chose to be poor, friends. He chose to come to the earth. He chose to be born in a stable. He chose to be born to inexperienced, very young parents, not royalty. He chose Bethlehem, not Jerusalem or Rome. He chose 12 disciples, most of which were fishermen. He chose the last three years of his life to basically be homeless. He chose to hang out with tax collectors and prostitutes, the diseased and the dying. And then he, Jesus, chose death. Be very clear, friends. Jesus said it in John chapter 10. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. He chose death. 
He chose poverty. This is so countercultural to choose poorness. Think about it. When was the last time that you or I made a conscious decision to not do something or to not spend money on something and then took that same energy or time or, or effort and put it towards somebody else so that they would be made rich? Well, our mobilization team actually gets to come alongside people every day who are choosing this same kind of poorness so that unreached others, so that unreached others would become rich with the gospel. I don't know if you've ever thought about all the sacrifice that goes into one of our goers going. So I just thought it would be good for us to just take a, a quick peek. Step three, you quit your job here in Austin. We don't realize how much identity we find in our jobs until we turn in our two weeks notice. Step four, finding a team. There are over 6,000 plus unreached people groups in the world. Which one should I go to? Which team should I join? Which, which uh, team has the right theology? Which team has the right methodology? And then we do these things called vision trips where you go and for three to six days you hang out with a team. It's kind of like group dating. It's really weird, okay, and awkward. And, and uh, I don't know if anybody goes on dates in here and that first one can be a, a, a interesting, right, to put it. And, 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 and they do that overseas. And then if one or the other doesn't like the other, the whole process starts over again. Step five, they need to raise their personal support. Step six, they need to get a visa. A visa is a stamp from the country they're going to that says they can legally be in that country. And the rules are different from country to country, and the rules within a given country are always changing, and there's nothing you can do about it. And the last step before they go, the last step before they go is to give away or sell everything they own and put what they want into two suitcases and get on the plane. It's a lot. Our goers choose poorness so that unreached others would be made rich. But what about us? What about us who are staying, the non-goers who are staying right here in Austin? Are we off the hook because we're not going? Do we get to just sacrifice vicariously through our goers? How do non-goers choose to become poor so that unreached others would be made rich? How do we, staying here in Austin, follow Jesus' example? And before we jump to the how, and we'll get to the how in just a minute, I want to make sure that we understand the why. Why would we sacrifice? Why would we sacrifice here in Austin? Why did Jesus sacrifice so much? What motivated him? Well, Hebrews 12.2 tells us what motivated Jesus. This is what Hebrews 12.2 says. Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy is the why. Joy is not a low motivator. It's the highest motivator. Joy motivated Jesus to endure the cross. Joy, the joy of, of, of conquering death. The joy of knowing that millions and millions would be saved from every tribe, tongue, and language and people. The joy of re-communing with God the Father in all of his glory and splendor. Joy motivated Jesus to sign up for sacrifice. Joy mo motivated Jesus because he knew that this poorness, that this poverty was only temporary. It wasn't gonna last, friends. He knew there was joy on the other side of his choosing poorness. You might be asking, well, Andy, that's great, but what, what does that have to do with me? Friends, Jesus is calling us, his church, to that exact same poorness. 
Jesus said in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus is saying, I became poor so that you would become rich. And now that you're rich, I'm calling you to do the exact same thing. I'm calling you to the exact same kind of poorness, to choose sacrifice, to sign up for sacrifice. See, we, 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 if you think about it, we know that the days we sign up for sacrifice are our happiest days. The days we sign up for sacrifice are our happiest days. Think about when two people get married. They may not know it. They, they, they don't know all that it means, but they're signing up for sacrifice. Amen? All the married people said? It's okay to say amen because there's joy in marriage. And that motivated you to sign up for the sacrifice. Think about when a family brings children into their, into their home whether biologically or through adoption, they're signing up for sacrifice, a whole lot of sleepless, stinky sacrifice. Amen? But joy motivated them. Think about, why did you say yes to Jesus? Why did you say yes to Jesus? Was it not for the joy that you knew that you could have an experience if you gave and sacrificed your whole life? See, the best news about how God's economy works is that when we become poor and we pursue joy, others actually become rich. And when others become rich, so do we. So do we. This is how to become rich. That's how Jesus became rich. Where's Jesus now? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you think that there's joy at the right hand of the throne of God? You better believe it. Joy is, is a great motivator. Joy is the why. And that joy was not just for Jesus. That joy is not just for our goers. That joy is for us, the senders, the mobilizers here in Austin. So here are four ways to become rich. Four ways for us to become rich. Number one, money. You're like, I knew it. I knew it was coming. I told you. We should have just got up and left during that last song. Money. Friends, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Money is not the only thing Jesus was talking about, but it it certainly includes it. If we care about God's name among peoples that have yet to hear him, our bank accounts will show it. Could somebody look at our bank accounts and say, yep, that person is radically about Jesus being proclaimed among people that have never heard? Could they? Could we, and, and, and so here's what we want to do. We're, we're not going to pass, like, you know, get, get them up here on the keyboards and start, you know, passing the baskets. We're not going to do that. Don't worry. But here's what I do want you to do. I want you to begin to pray. We're going to hear a little bit more at the end of service, this, this far more series that's coming. I want you to begin to pray. What does this mean for me, for my family, for my missional community? What does this mean for me to embrace poverty with my finances so that Others would become rich with Jesus. Back in Iowa, that's where um, we're from, uh, we had this couple that was, we were good friends with a family. They have three kids. um, And the husband and I would talk real honestly with each other about our finances. And um, And that family, year after year after year, would give half of their income away. And they didn't live in an RV. They had a normal house, and they lived meagerly, and they gave half year after year after year. And you want to talk about joy. You ask that couple, 
about the, the goers that they were investing in. They saw investments in a whole radically different way. They said, oh yeah, we're investing. We're investing in Jordan, in India, in Indonesia. It's got a big return on investment. Amen? And they would talk about how people were coming to Christ and movements were starting and they were a part of it. I don't know what it means for you personally, but I do know that Jesus wants us to wrestle with it. He wants us to wrestle with it. See, the size of the gift is actually less important to God. Rather, the amount of sacrifice required to give it is what God is looking for. This is the point of Jesus seeing the woman in Mark chapter 12. You remember that woman who gave her last two coins? Jesus turns to his disciples in Mark 12 and says this, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, see it again, friends? Out of her poverty has put it in everything she had, all she had to live on. She chose in a very risky way poverty to make God look glorious. Back um, when we first moved to Austin, there was an event that we hosted at as, as a church and where people could sell different things and then the proceeds would go to gospel causes. And there was an older gentleman who left several messages on my phone. I finally got back to him and he said he um, would like to sell these little, um, uh, what do you call them, trinkety bead, um, cross things, jewelry, right? Sorry. And, um, you know, um, that's just not my deal, sorry, to those who love that stuff. And, and you know, that, that he would love to give the proceeds to the 100 People Network. And I, I was like, that's, that's great. Thank you so much. Now, I'm going to tell you honestly what I was thinking, but you've got to promise not to judge me, okay? I'm just, just like you. What I was really thinking is, you know, really, buddy? You're going to sell some little rainbow crosses and give us the money? I'm sure that's going to meet all of our financial needs. You're like, you're awful. <laughs> I, I'm just being honest with you, Okay. And so sure enough, a week goes by, he calls me up and says, hey, this is how much we made. It was small. I don't even remember the amount, a few hundred dollars or something like that. And, and then he told me this story of a little girl that came up to his table during the, the event and, and said, I'd like to buy one of your crosses. And she spilled out all these coins onto the table. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, sweetie, you don't have enough money. And she said, but it's all I have. And I really want one of those crosses. And of course, being the generous, wise man that he, he is, He gave her one. And then he said this to me on the phone. I'll never forget it. He said, you know, I think there's, I think, Andy, that it's more about the sacrifice of the giver than the amount they actually give. And I think God can do more with the little given in faith than the big amount given in excess. Oh, man. I I was thinking, I am the worst human being on the planet, right? This guy knew what it meant to be rich. He knew what it meant to risk everything. He'd seen an example of it so that others would become rich. Jesus wants us to wrestle with this. The second way, the second way, so the first one is money. Begin to pray. Ask God what he would have for you and your finances so that you can be ready to respond when when the time is appropriate. The second one, the second way for you to become rich is by joining an advocacy team. As you can see, we had three great members up here tonight, but guess what? We sent out 100 goers. Do you think three people can cover 100? Hello. We need, and and they're great folks. Don't get me wrong. But we need more advocates. We need more A-team people. All right? We're praying. We have been praying for the weeks leading up to tonight 
that God would provide over 200 more people to join A-teams. And there are many of you listening to this right now who are the answer to that prayer. You're the answer. And so on, on tomorrow night and, and Wednesday night, we're going to have some info sessions about what it means to really join an A-team. But I'll just give you a couple snapshots, snapshots a couple stories of, of what it looks like to be on, on an A-team. There's a, there's a couple... They're part of the downtown campus, actually. Ted and his, his wife, Teresa, and they found out that Adam and his family were going to Asia, and so they joined his A-team. And um, so once a month, they Skype with Adam and his family over in Asia and just encourage them. But Ted takes it a step further, and every single week, Ted contacts Adam and asks him how he's doing personally, how his time with God is, how his marriage is, how his family is, how he can be praying for him specifically. And I got to talk to Adam a few weeks ago, and Adam said this. He said, that time that Ted contacts me is the most encouraging time of my week. Week after week after week. It helps keep him going. Or I think about this couple that lives in South Asia, and where they live, there's only a handful of believers. And so, of course, um, they live in a Muslim context, and Muslims are not our enemies, by the way. We need to love them. They just don't know the, the, the fullness of who Jesus is yet. And so where they live, Christmas is not celebrated. And so think about it. No yard displays, no lights, no Christmas music on the radio, no ugly Christmas sweater parties, right? No treats, no sales in stores, no special foods in restaurants, nothing. Well, their A-team found out about this, and so they sent over this big box of Christmas awesomeness. Okay, it was great. They, I mean, you should have seen, they, they were, they're, they're actually back right now, and they were telling me about this, and their faces, they were just like, you know, like, they were so pumped about this. And they said the best thing that was in this box was this little homemade Advent devotional. And they put together a daily devotional to walk through Advent, just like we do here with all of you every Christmas season. And then they had put in from each of the members of their advocacy team different personal notes to encourage them to keep going, to press on. And the wife is crying, telling me this. She said it kept us going. They made them rich. And, and you know, if, if I'm sitting in your shoes, I might be thinking, Andy, that sounds great. Those are heartwarming stories. But compared to the sacrifice of the goers, I don't know if they, you know, they kind of equal out. Here's what I'd say in response to that. I think some of the best sacrifices in the world are the little ones that we do day after day after day after day, week after week after week. Amen? Those are the ones that are hardest to make. The small ones that nobody sees, that nobody pats us on the back for. Those are the really the big sacrifices that add up over time. And it takes perseverance to keep going at month eight or year three when your goers have been out three years. And guess, friends, guess who gets the most richness when the goers report, like some did this last spring, when the goers report that five men from Afghanistan gave their lives to Jesus. Well, the A-teams, of course, this is where richness lives because the amount of poverty we choose is in proportion to the richness we receive. The amount of time and energy and prayer is in exact proportion to the joy that we live in when five Afghanis come to know Jesus. And if it doesn't stir our hearts, move our hearts right now, it's probably because we haven't deeply invested. And that's not to lay guilt on anyone. That's just to say, friends, there's joy waiting. You could rejoice deeply 
by being on one of these advocacy teams. The third way that you can sign up to become rich tonight is by your car. Makes complete sense, right? And uh, no, your car. When goers come back, remember, they sell everything to go. When they come back, they need wheels. They come back for two to six months usually just to say hi to their friends and family, get refreshed, and then enter back into the fight among the unreached, spreading the gospel there. And, and so recently we had this family that came home from the Middle East. They got three young kids under five here, Spillathon, okay? Like spilling all the time, right? You know what I'm talking about, young kids. And, and, and this family loaned them their um, uh, pretty new town and country um, minivan, and that thing is stickier than it's ever been in its entire existence. They put on 5,000 miles in four months. But you want to talk about blessing that family. They didn't have to worry about getting a car or, or, you know, borrowing a car a week at a time or hitching different rides. They just had a vehicle. Didn't have to worry about insurance. Just drove that thing and put gas in it. What a blessing to that family. Guys, with a church our size, we should have so many cars available that, 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 I mean, some of you need to design an app or something like cars.com and A-teams just go in there and, and the A-team should like send an email to the goer and be like, do you want a Sequoia, an Escalade, uh, a Lexus? What do you want? What color do you want that in? Amen? Like that's what it should be like with our family. That's how we should roll. Amen? The fourth way that you can become rich is by through your house through your house, we, when, the same deal. When, when, when goers come back, many times they stay in three or five or ten different places over the course of those two to six months. And to have a home base where they can keep their stuff and have a little bit of normalcy so they really can be refreshed rather than two weeks at a time at this and this and that different place. I'll share this last story and then will be done. It's not from our church, but I think it'll motivate us towards the same kind of sacrifice. I met a guy, Carl, a week and a half ago, and Carl's total hipster, okay? Skinny jeans, you know, funky socks that I'd never let my sons wear, and no offense, hipsters, and uh, hair done just right, you know? I know, we're just having a little fun. You can make fun of me, too. I got lots of, you know, things that to make fun of. And, and Carl, anyways, lived among the unreached for three years, getting ready to come back to the States with his family, and, and finds out from his home church that there have been huge leadership issues, and that right now they just didn't have the capacity to host them coming back. And Carl's like, oh man, like we're scheduled to come back. What are we going to do? Well, there was a church in Oklahoma City, and this church in Oklahoma City said, you know what? We've sent a couple short-term teams to Carl over the last few years. We'll host him. And so they said, Carl, why don't you and your family fly to OKC, and we'll take care of you. So Carl and his wife, a little skeptical, fly to, fly to Oklahoma City, get off the plane, exhausted, a three-year-old and a one-year-old in their arms, and, and get in this car and drive over to this house, nice little place, and, um, and the guy says, okay, we'll see you later, and Carl's like, what do you mean we'll see you later? Isn't this your house? And, Carl's, and, and, and the guy said to Carl, the, the guy that was from the church, said, no, this is your house. And he's like, what do you mean it's our house? Well, the church got together and we decided that we should just rent you a house for the next six months. And Carl's like, well, 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 well whose stuff is all of this? Because, you know, the living room had living room stuff in it. The kitchen had kitchen stuff in it. And, and he's like, who's? And he's like, well, different groups in the church all adopted a room and just put whatever that room needed. And just donated it all. 
And so they walk into the little boy's room, and the little boy loved cars. You know the cartoon, the Disney deal with Lightning McQueen, number 95, right? For those of you that have young parents. And, and, and they had just did the whole thing, did it up big, you know? Cars, stuff everywhere, little toys, little clothes and the thing. They walked into the, the little nursery they'd set up that had a, a crib and had a little changing table. And, 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 for, and there were the right-sized diapers in the changing table. And Carl, this hipster, he he just lost it. Because he was so moved how others would choose some poorness so that he and his family would become rich for those six months. So that they would have a home base and could embrace some normalcy before they went back into the pressure cooker of the unreached. Friends, we want to be a family like that. Amen? We want to be a family like that. That goers come back and they are overwhelmed by our generosity, by our poorness. So if you've got a basement or an extra room or a lake house or some rental property, I don't know what it is, and you'll hear, you can just go online on the front page and click go or care. You can tell us what you got. It doesn't mean you have to do it for sure, but it lets us know that you're open to it. This is a way that we can become rich so that unreached others can become Come, a way that we can become poor so that unreached others would become rich. The call to become poor, that, that they might become rich, is not just for goers, it's for all of us, family. It's like UT winning a national championship, right? If the Longhorns win, who gets the most joy? Is it the Fairweather fan that shows up once a week when it's convenient for him or her? Or is it the players who sacrifice day in and day out when nobody's watching? Why do they do it? They do it for the joy of a national championship. They do it because they're motivated by joy. And and the only way they know that they can get there is through sacrifice. Friends, Jesus is calling all of us to the field. The field is not just for the goers. It's for us, those who are going to stay right here in Austin. God wants us to have a significant part. He wants us to get on the field and be a player. And he promises us, if we'll trust him, that's where joy will be found. Let's pray. God, we we thank you and praise you for the truth that's in your word. We thank you that you show us how we can really become rich. God, we confess that many times we fall into the trap of believing Richness is what the world tells us it is. And that by the the amount of things that we have or the amount that we make every year, these are the ways that we can tell we're rich. Lord, and, and, and it really doesn't have anything to do with those things. It has everything to do with making you look the treasure. God, you are the greatest, best, most glorious treasure in all of the world. And so we're sorry, God, that we don't always make you look like that. Thanks for the good news that, that, that your love for us is not based on our performance, but that again and again you give us opportunities to embrace what real richness is. Help us, God. Help us together in our families, with our roommates, with our MCs to choose this richness, God, for it is where joy is found. We love you, God. We thank you so much for this time. 
Thank you for your word. Thank you that you care for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.